Greetings, ladies and managers, and welcome to this latest narration of the web series, The Nature of Predators. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 154 Memory Transcription Subject Onzo Yodel Technical Specialist Date Standardized Human Time, March 9th, 2137 now Vessel was in dire need of repairs, after the high-octane firefight that took place inside of our walls. The Colchians had been rebuffed in most of their boarding attempts, with the Terran's superior reflexes and wits proving a massive advantage. However, the enemy had been able to take the bridge on two of our ships, but the UN captains triggered the self-destruct before they could assume control. The primates were defiant to their last breaths willing to sacrifice themselves to a fiery end if it meant that the bastards couldn't get their tentacles on our gadgetry. I liked to think that I had a great deal of courage, but I wasn't certain that I could have set off the detonation sequence without hesitation. Knowing I was still on board, human bravery never failed to impress me. Tyler had embraced me in the tightest hug I'd ever received from him after the ordeal Samantha and I went through. Despite the fact that the intruders had been cleared from our vessel, my exchange partner had been hovering at my side as much as possible. He didn't make a single jib about the prior controller-smashing episodes during our gaming session. Though he'd never get overtly weepy, I was touched to see how terrified he was by the prospect of losing me. I deigned to stick by my brother-in-arm so that we could protect each other going forward. As we docked with the mobile repair gantry that had warped in, I was excited to tour the latest developments in the maintenance department. This entire construct was a novel idea that allowed ship touch-ups to be expedited. The bridges would be back in tip-top shape in no time, and I imagined they'd place a permanent seal in the microscopic hull gap I'd patched while we were out. I would love to pick a Terran's engineer's brain, comparing their knowledge to my own and exchanging opinions on the latest technologies. Likely, the rest of our warship's crew would have found the repair gabbing boring. I almost felt a little bad for Tyler tagging along on the sightseeing expedition. However, I imagine he'd be more miserable worrying about a repeat of the boarding incident than listening to me spew facts like a geyser. We need to have a talk, Onzo. Tyler grumbled as we descended down the exit ramp into the station's walkway. There are some rumors about you causing trouble on the ship. I perked my ears up, widening my eyes to look innocent. For Father Colchians? That look right there is exactly the problem. Sam told me that you've been doing the begging shit to get folks to do stuff for you. She's right that you need to knock it off. <sighs> A scolding from my commanding officer. Worried I'll turn it on you, you know. I would, if you could do anything other than instant ramen. Sovereign told me all about your unimpressive efforts. I know you think it's fun and games, but listen here. It's kind of funny, but Onzo, you want everyone to treat you equal. That particular stunt is going to have folks treating you like their fecking pet. And I don't see you in the same light as my dog Zeus. You don't want to align yourself with animal behavior, right? Guy who's sharp as a whip shouldn't be seen as anything below that. Ah, oh, come on. Maybe I'm sacrificing a little dignity, but the so-called cuteness overload gets humans to do stuff I don't want to do. We already see Yotel as cute by default. I just never told you because I didn't want to insult you. I'd be pissed if someone pinched my cheeks and was like, Arr, aren't you a cutie pie? I swiveled to face the human, grabbing his cheeks as the blue eyes widened with indignation. Ah, oh, you cutie pie. 
Who's a precious human? Tyler reached out with a hand, yanking my tail. The Terran tugged with enough force that I yelped and leapt backwards. Several human crew that passed us openly turned their heads to gawk at the scene. My exchange partner dusted his hands off and satisfied smirk on his face. I growled at him, and he beckoned with an open palm for the come at me gesture. I considered launching myself at him hand legs first, but that might be taking the play fighting a bit too far. With reluctance, my posture shifted to something meeker, and I fell back in at his side. Tyler must be bigger, but I could spar with him, and it'd be funny to plant him on his ass with a drop kick. Deep down, I generally want to try that on a human. You're actually the worst. You're damn lucky we're bros, and I think you're cute. The human blonde human chuckled. So, as I was saying, if you want to take advantage of your affectionate nature, you can just ask us to do whatever it is you want, like a person. We'll probably still do it, man. In any case, I'd be there if you asked me to, because I'm your friend. Since you're my friend, don't you dare play games with me. You hear me? I stuck my snout high in the air, closing my eyes. No promises. Or is that an order, sir? Oh, thank you. I'm serious, dude. Yeah, yeah. I got the message loud and clear. Good. Because there's more important matters at hand. Sovelin's cooked up a new name for you, and I swear the primitive shit is definitely about getting around the jar to spite me at this point. So I'm so tempted to tattle to him or to his shrink. I'm sure I'll love this. Uh, what's the name? Train lover, barbarian, Ralchi forward, Taoshiana. That, that last one didn't translate. Ah, uh, it's um, uh, a slur towards Rincians. It means shit-sniffing island savage. Thereabouts, uh, Thysunites can't stand what they're isolated from their culture. Don't you ever use that word towards me. Oh, that kind of name. Got it. Lips are zipped. Sovlan is unaware of that word, I reckon. He's just calling you an atavist. I fucking hate saying that. So Sovlin just changed how he calls me a primitive. That's not so bad. It's almost a term of endearment. He can't admit the Odal who was born without electricity is brighter than him. I really don't get that, Odzo. I hope you don't take this the wrong way. But I can't imagine growing up without electricity or running water. I don't know if I'd even make it. Yodel were damn tough. From where you started and how quick you learned everything about the interstellar society. It shows you got a good head screwed on your shoulders. Thanks, I guess. You'd make it if it was all you knew. You can't think of the best there is is rough. That checks out. Can't miss what you don't got. After joying off along the way, I spotted a hangar bay where a group of Terrans were clustered around a computer screen, talking animatedly about something. This could be an unparalleled opportunity to discuss my passion with people who shared it, and wouldn't look down on me for being too primitive to be considered an academic equal. My tail wagged with happiness, and I bounded away from Tyler without a moment's notice. The blonde human sighed with resignation before trudging after me. A Terran engineer's head snapped up, and a toothy grin took over his face. How's it going? Hey, uh, you're the yodel that took out a dozen culsions with fire foam, aren't you? We watched the footage earlier today. Uh, you're badass. Uh, what can we do for you? I'd be happy to talk with anything tech-related if you have the time, I replied. Then you should check out the feeds we're looking at now. We just launched the biggest fecking cyber attack the feds have ever seen. Murders, this is Zhao's sideshow to keep Fetty minions from running to offer's aid. Look and see. Interest showed in Tyler's gaze. We both coveted news about the war from other fronts. I'd done some light reading on the humans' forays into digital attacks during the satellite wars. 
but the Treaty of Shanghai put restrictions on cyber warfare due to its astonishing consequences. Under the present circumstances, I didn't imagine the United Nations was applying the letter of their internal laws to obstinate Federation powers. This could be a unique opportunity to pass why the late 21st century skirmish was so devastating to Earth's largest countries. I joined the crowd of Terrans, following their directional eyes. The total pandemonium depicted on screen, filmed from hundreds of worlds, was jaw-dropping. Without dropping a single bomb, or even positioning a single ship in orbit, the humans had brought entire societies to a standstill. It looked as though the Federation worlds were on the brink of anarchy. Riots occurred in the streets, despite the supposed certainty that prey weren't capable of such behavior. I knew from lessons from the Grain Wars of Nlian that when food is scarce and other basic needs were denied, civilization could break down in a matter of days. What digital assault could have harvested these results? I don't see a direct correlation between the loss of internet services or a computer network and the blood in the streets. Perhaps the news anchor's commentary will explain. Detail by detail, the affected technology and its ramifications were expounded upon over the airwaves. Malware had been placed into the power grids on every Federation allied entity, resulting in mass blackouts. Unless the citizens were remotely located and sustained their facilities on independent power sources, this had a variety of rippling effects. In regions tormented by bitter winters, this left homes at near-freezing temperatures, needing to run appliances off limited backup energy stashes, for those who had any. Affluent neighborhoods were best prepared to weather the storm, while others had to cultivate fires or head out to shelters for refuge. Hospitals running on minimum power were struggling to fuel their machinery, spawning desperate pleas to military hospital ships to take on patients. The most dire impact of all was the fact that without refrigeration, entire food stalls spoiled. To confound this problem, the humans had also taken out the water mains with their invisible software. Lacking both the essential building blocks for life, civilians attempted to complete transactions to purchase the remaining supplies at stores. However, the banking systems had also been the target of hacking operations. The Terrans drained every credit from each account and targeted backup servers as well. Without funding to buy food and with their livelihoods vanished, protesters marched down to their government's doorstep. Many states instituted rations and handouts from what was left of the supply chain, but shelves still ran bare as everyone rushed for morsels of food. It's everything, I breathed. An entire society brought to its knees by the things they took for granted and depended on electronics to fuel, but they wished they had a primitive system now. Few elements of society went untouched. The Terrans were ruthless in going after anything that was tapped into a network. Some military personnel had been tricked into downloading malicious files on their closed system ships, allowing the UN to trigger their self-destruct functions from afar. The once secret FTL comms infrastructure was taken out alongside civilian planetary broadcast systems, which meant the armed forces were left unable to transmit intel. The populace was, likewise, stripped of their ability to receive news, government instructions, or contact with their relatives during this time of unrest. The pure genius of humanity's ploy was undeniable. The Federation's allies couldn't come to office assistance while there were problems at home. Their vulnerable technology was untrustworthy, and the communications would be cut off with their command and leadership. Math would be delusional to attempt to combat over 200 species at once, 
Now, whatever the Shadow Fleet resources are amassed in Colchian systems have to fend for themselves. The Commonwealth might have to backpedal on their operations and defend their homeworlds. After seeing the Cyber Warfare in action, I could grasp why the satellite wars ravaged Earth's industrialized nations, punishing them for every advancement they made in any field that revolved around technology. Civilians could be caught in the crossfire, with every facet of their lives unraveling by the invisible hand of a digital threat. It was my new directive to bring this information back to Lian, assuming humanity wasn't already collaborating with the Yotl on cyber warfare strategies and defenses. This technocracy needed, first and foremost, to safeguard our fledgling systems and ships from such attacks. However, it would also be apt if us primitives uncovered ways to cripple the very advancements the Federation had lorded over our heads. Would you look at that? We really fucking did it, Tyler Chid. I believe we can take offer, y'all. Just like we took Tusk. This is it. Lyconus Jr., or whatever the fact their new death spot is, will be facing a war tribunal lickety split. I switched my tail lazily. I know what you said about not crossing lines. I'll follow your orders, even if I do see them as soft. But I think the only way to be sure that we're rid of the Fetties is to wipe them out once and for all. There's no benefits to keeping a source of such evil alive if we have the chance to cap the well. Ah! We're all tempted to wipe them off the face of the map or whatever. But it's a bad precedent for us to do that. And it ain't gonna get the other fetties to stand down. They won't let us free Slanek or any civilians that are under heel too. Any kids who ain't had nothing to do with this horseshit. No. We need an end to this war and keep it ended. It doesn't end by following the same old cycle this whole galaxy has been on. They have to pay for what they've done as a collective society, respectfully. I don't think it matters if there was a precedent for washing out poles of a race that has genocided millions. Do you think it was justified to launch the cyber attack against this Federation subordinates? Well, yeah. Sucks that the civilians got wrapped up in it, but it's an option that saves human lives and ships we don't have enough of. Doesn't it save human lives to bomb offer and not have to take it by foot? In the short term, you'll pay the blood price of the other fetties fighting to the death. And you also show the rest of the SC races, including the Yurtle, that we're a bunch of fecking hypocrites. I'd like us to be the ones who show them that there can be something better. Heroes aren't heroes on a part-time basis. I want a peaceful life back on Lian, helping rebuild my culture. I don't need to be a hero. Of course you don't need to, buddy. You'll do it because you don't want the foundation of our peace to be built on sand. You'll do it because you've seen what we're different. And because even if it is just in the science point of view, you think life means something. We'll do it for each other. Because we owe it to ourselves and our friends to finish this with dignity. A Terran engineer whistled with appreciation. That's a hell of a speech. For what is worth, I agree with you. Killing a shit ton of people or any form of mass punishment has never fixed or helped anything. Always come back to bite you in the ass. I sighed. Just out of curiosity, would the puppy dog eyes help at all to win this debate? No, mad yodel, Tyler scolded, a disbelieving glint in his eyes. You can't beg the UN to let you murk some civvies. Maybe not, but if a couple of antimatter bombs just happened to fall into my control... It wouldn't be too bad. Clearly, you've seen enough chaos and destruction in HD for one day. I'm taking you back to the ship. That is an order. 
I struck a parting posture while waving a farewell with my tail to the human engineers. This journey hadn't morphed into the technical conversation I craved, but it had lent me insight into the entirely new field of study. I was determined to acquire knowledge on digital vulnerabilities and tinker with how I could engineer safeguards into Leon's grid in case we ever ended up on the wrong side of someone with cyber warfare capabilities. With its present deployment against the Federation allies, our mission to Arthur suddenly seemed much more feasible. Once our warship was repaired and ready to return to action, it would be up to us to take down the Colchians through any means necessary. After everything I'd seen in the past few months, I believe that humanity had what it took to win this war. End of chapter. Chapter 155. Memory transcription subject, Chief Hunter Isif, Arxa Rebellion Command. Date, standardized human time, March 10th, 2137. 20,000 foes remain active in the system. I wasn't sure how the Terrans planned to gain the Dirtian Shield's compliance with their plans. If the local remnants, figuring out about half of their invading forces tally, surged towards the Colchians, it would take our support much more effective. Their motivations for aggressive actions was obvious. The Withkalqua rocked by antimatter bombs, planetary defenses were long since gone, and our rescue operations was the only reason their last remaining forces hadn't been cut down by overwhelming opposition. The Yodel's particle beams gave us a chance, especially since they lacked the recharging requirements of plasma weaponry. Enemy drones had invested their focus on technocracy pesky vessels, giving the dirty and some breathing room. Most of the human drone aids perished in the initial engagement, protecting life and limb over unbreathing, unfeeling metal. I was pleased that the Dirtian hadn't turned their guns on us or the UN, but I suppose even they wouldn't be foolish enough to invite extinction. It was easy to claim that there was better not to exist than to bow to a predator's whims when that ultimatum wasn't staring a herbivore in the face. Self-preservation was an instinct that transcended all classes of life form. With the multi, Dresden, and the Federation subsidiary driven out by us, there was hope of keeping some of the Kalkwa's infrastructure intact. I winced, thinking what percentage of the populace lived in the cities that had already been hit. Per my documents, the last census data suggests a population of about six and a half billion, including foreigners and work visas for diplomatic stays. It's a smaller number than the amount of people on Earth, largely due to the constant casualties brought on by this endless war. It was important to take inventory of exactly what was transpiring around my command ship. Through the near-microscopic dots Kaisel had highlighted, I could glimpse human nanodrones in on the fly. The Dirtian Shield seemed to lack a strategy with their remaining ships, with every unit operating out of independent desperation. The Yotl were being pounded by any drone that could burn towards them, and could only fend off so many guns blazing foes, even with exemplary flying. It was obvious where our plasma support was best spent. If humanity's manships had taken on automatons in prior engagement, there was no reason Oxel crews couldn't hold our own, too. It would reflect poorly on my abilities as a commander if we couldn't drive the Colchians out in one fell swoop. Focus plasma on targets who are in pursuit of the Yotl. Save our missiles for any Colchians come for us, I ordered. Kaisel narrowed his eyes. Understood, sir. 
I thought at a handful of possible targets that are almost in range of our weapons. Lisa looked up from a spot beside Bandarenka. Sir, if I may, I've been informed that the Dirtian have been persuaded to charge the enemy. All of our ducks are in a row. It happens right now. All at once, we'll be throwing everything but the kitchen sink at them, Oleski declared with a chipper grin. Everything but the kitchen sink. The idiom didn't compute with me, and I figured I could attempt to utilize human levity to build rapport with my crew. If I was going to bring Arxor back to our old ways, and I couldn't learn from Viseth, it would behoove me to replicate the Terran's bedside manner. That saying does not make sense. Why would we be throwing a faucet tool into a space battle? Is this a remark on using anything as a weapon? Well, not that we wouldn't, you know. There were secret programs that can use cats as acoustic listening devices. Uh, the saying was popularized during our Second World War, or so I hear. Anything usable went into the war efforts, so I guess it took off then. I regret ever asking to learn more about your inane rationale. Let me know if the United Nations is anything useful to part, rather than using confusing excerpts about household appliances. Uh, yes, yes, sir. It is about to get serious, for sure. You could say that we're about to go out of the frying pan and into the fire. You think it's funny to use this idiom after I warned you, yes? You're lucky your government would not tolerate me breaking your ankles like I did Kaisel's. The Oxel grunt winced, drawing his tail closer. <laughs> Do not remind me, sir. Given that humans must char their food, and their culture, like ours, revolves around eating meat, it computes that kitchenware is a priceless contributor to their daily lives. I can see why the Dirtian would be relegated to the kitchen sink, as incompetent herbivores without a shred of common sense. I do not expect their charge to be useful or deliver on its promised effects. A bunch of inadequate resources together may be enough. Is that not correct? The Terrans must have completed a similar assessment in their stratagems. We are to save the herbivores and do our part, lest we look like bumbling idiots like the Dirtian. Understood. I am on it. Our weapon station was attempting to lock onto Kulshin's drones, utilizing the data that Kaisel had forwarded. Several captains in the rebel fleet were coordinating their fire, cultivating synchronicity to deal massive amounts of damage once we drew within range. The Yontor were clever enough to keep just ahead of the enemy pursuers and to slowly loop towards us on an indirect path. They were routing the Federation fleet towards us, which would make it easier to get a crack at our targets. Power was diverted away from non-essential systems aboard my command vessel, ensuring that our initial volley was sizzling with intensity. The dazzling flashes of thousands of plasma beams fired off in unison was an impressive display of control. The robots could dodge through some of the plasma, calculating the munitions intended course and abruptly twirling out of the way. However, that meant that they had to ease up on the pursuit of the technocracy vessels. The Yotl were ready to bombard them with the particle beams as quickly as their weapons would allow. The Dirty had also diverted most of their remaining ships into a formation advance, and were using everything but the kitchen sink. That is, they were using whatever weapons they could have left over from the prolonged engagement. Kaiser had ordered our weapon station to hold their fire, and only now granted the permission to annihilate their target. 
With the Gaultians being pressed on all sides, our chosen target was paying no mind to any rebel fleet follow-up. I see the point of bringing the Dirgian shield forward. On their own, they pack very little claw strength, but with the drones ignoring them in favor of greater threats, they can choose their marks unimpeded. The slim number of remaining Terran drones had drifted away from the Yotl's side as we stepped into the fold. Humanity's computer-piloted fleet mobilized beside the Dirgian shield, protecting their remnants in the scarce cases they were fired upon. My best guess was that the UN didn't want the Dirgian to start sustaining heavy losses and crumble with their already frazzled nerves. The brazen charge wouldn't hold if they started dropping like prey. I waited with impatience for our plasma railguns to recharge, wanting to pin down the cautions before they could craft an invasion strategy. The Terran nanodrones I'd spotted on the sensors earlier zipped towards any caution drones who had resumed their pursuit of the Yotl. I could see that a few dozen technocracy ships had been on the receiving end of missile barrages, from debris scattered in the void. The microscopic humanoid automatons pounced on the enemy's lack of shielding, and I watched one swarm ram itself into a foe's thrusters. Well, it wasn't as decisive as a reactor strike, it was enough to immobilize the drone, a Dirtian shield vessel moseyed up to it to mop it up, as even those foolish avians could take down a paralyzed target. Kaiser, how many more drones do you expect we need to kill before their algorithms recognize they've lost? I asked. Lisa shifted on her feet. If I may interject, I think that is not so simple. The Shadow Fleet has the kind of numbers that losses aren't their concern. Should the algorithms assess that the battle is lost, I imagine they'll shift their focus to taking out as many souls on Kalkwa as possible before going down. This has always been about teaching the Dirtian a lesson. Their aim was to engineer the complete eradication of the species that defied them, so I cannot argue against your conclusion. My question to the runt, uh, to Keitzel, stands. What's the number where it is decided that all is lost? The scrawny Arxel lashed his tail. In my estimation, we have already crossed that threshold, sir. Between the Yodel, us, and the Dirtian shield scoring kills, I count 6,500 fallen enemies. If there's anything the Calamari want to try, they have to make that push while they still have the numbers. I squinted at my viewport, assessing where a push might come from. Several Shadow Fleet drones had ramped up the pressure on the technocracy vessels, despite understanding it left them vulnerable to the three species covering the Yotl. Another contingent was fainting towards the Dirtian homeworld, knowing full well that the Terrans would ram automatons into their foes if needed, to stop them from drawing close enough. The final break-off group I spotted was waltzing into our crosshairs, right into the waiting missiles that we'd conserved to avoid such a head-on assault. Between all of these ostensible lost-ditch efforts, there was a small number of hostiles that were unaccounted for. With the Dirtian closing in on the Colchians from the planet's direction, the Terrans functioning as a middleman, and us backing up Yotl and heading from our systems out of bounds, that left a single avenue of possibility. The only path to slip away was to blaze off horizontally, while locking the other engagements into a limited area. It was difficult to detect which direction they would have chosen, with the craft having escaped visual range. Debris, course data, and a slew of active weapons were drowning out sensor leads in the sea of information. Rather than allowing the Colchians to dilute our sensors, we needed to filter out the irrelevant matters. 
I hurried over to the sensor station to preside over the full array and moved Kaisel out of the way without explanation. Despite grasping that it would leave us blind to target lock, I switched off all data correlating to in-fight weapons. My next subset to subtract was anything less than half of a ship length. Even though that would entail manual spotting to avoid flying into debris or friendly nanodrones, it still remained difficult to pass a particular group of renegades from their bodies, so I resorted to removing all vessels which had been marked as friendly. It was less than ideal to not know our partner's vectors on top of not viewing their weapons' trajectories. However, if my theory was correct, we had little time to mitigate the Shadow Fleet's plan to double the casualties on Kalkwa. I pointed with my claw to faint energy signals. Peel back! See those readings here? The Shadow Fleet snuck some ships off that way. To bomb Kalkwa. Send our fastest craft after them. Now send word to the United Nations, Lisa chimed in. They'll be responsible for filling in the dirty and shield, who I'm sure had been so pleasant to work with. Oleski narrowed his eyes. I will tell the Yotl, though I don't imagine they have a hope in intercepting ships that are closer to us. We have to stop these squids. Each drone probably only has one antimatter bomb aboard, but if there's a few hundred ships, that's... We don't learn arithmetic on us, contrary to common beliefs. That would induce more city hits than they've already racked up in some of the battle. Over a billion more dead. Unlike Kalsum's fools, the Kalshians have been strategic enough to take out key military strongholds and seats of government across Kalkwa already. So now, it'll be pure population. The Dirtian will have a fraction of their former power. As is, they may lose their deciding stake in the Shield Alliance, Lisa postulated. That might be for the best, except that they're now the driving force in hating the Federation. Plus, their manufacturing capacity is second to none in their little group. We cannot afford to lose virtually all of their major urban centers, yes? The fastest ships in the Rebel fleet have already received the communique to pursue the Spectre. But we will trail behind to supervise. Divert all power to propulsion. Kaisel squinted. With respect, sir, we cannot hope to catch them in a ship of our size. I do not know that our speediest vessels can catch them. Better not specify thrusters. Lisa, your job is to get us in touch with the Durchin Shield through the UN, charge our warp drive through the standard stationary protocol, and coordinate a fraction of a second for us to warp to their intended destination. My hope is that we are in and out before the Gaussians notice the opportunity. Get a small enough number of our other ships' warships to jump at the same time, but not enough that the drones notice that we're prepping for warp to become wise to it. Peacekeeper Reynolds stuck her head. Now, Manot, sir, I'll coordinate with navigations. Pardon my audacity for asking questions, domineering Chief Hunter, but if we're catching up through FTL, why are you sending the speedy ships after them at sublight velocities? The Arxel run spoke up. It's a mere diversion, Kaisel, so that they think we're going after them in the hopeless fashion. I paced back to the captain's station, allowing him to resume full control of the sensor hub. What do the prey accuse us of so often? It's a ruse. The gravity disturbances of FDL disruptors were preventing warp travel now. If the Colchians realized that they'd have the opportunity to slip into subspace, that would allow them to poke their units directly through the orbital range. It was quintessential that they wouldn't have the slightest clue of our intentions, and that the field was reasserted as soon as it was opened. This might mean that we'd be thrown back into real space the hard way. 
but despite the unpleasant variables, this was the only way to catching the Kalkwa-bound bomb toters. It was a necessary gabbard for the continuance of the Dirtian as a galactic power. This entire rescue mission was a pointless waste of resources if this doesn't succeed. Beyond the senseless loss of life, further would mirror an ox or raid. I hoped to never see a planet come to that again, so this must work. As we stalled in position, protective on the far reaches of the rebel fleet, I watched the warp drive uncoil suitably to chart a path. If I had time to process what was unfolding, I might have even been nervous, despite my immense battle experience. However, it was over before I realized that it started. My command ship lurched into subspace before our violent expulsion as the disruptors went back up near instantaneously. In that sliver of time which was imperceptible to any life form, we'd punched our ticket ahead of the Shadow Fleet's path. Our warship could stand in the path of the incoming bomb-bearing foes. The havoc the FDL disruptors wreaked on our biology wasn't something that could be trained away. The sudden transition confused the senses. The skin wrapped around my brain felt it tight. My ears bore the sensation of being turned inside out as deafening bells rang within. My body temperature was climbing like I was under a sun lamp, and my eyes were projecting psychedelic patterns onto everything I saw. An unspeakable level of vertigo made it difficult to think, let alone direct my equally dazed soldiers into battle stations. The humans had turned flushed shades of red and were on the floor struggling to coordinate movements. A growl rumble in my throat as I leaned against my station with the full force of my weight. I want power back to weapons, I huffed. Move! The weapons technician slumped against the buttons, managing to move a paw that weighed a ton to the needed buttons. He collapsed with exhaustion after completing a sequence. I swiveled my slowly normalizing vision back to Kaisel. The Arxel runt was on his knees. Judging by the concerned look in his eyes, he couldn't read the overlay. I tried to consult my own, but the dots all bled together through the blur. My eyelids squeezed shut in merciful darkness for a few seconds, and I sucked in measured breaths. My gaze snapped back open with renewed focus, allowing me to gauge the situation. The Colchian drones were mere seconds from arriving, so I hoped that my crew could shake off the FDL disruptor's effects in the next few moments. To my surprise, there were a small handful of Terran drones and Durgin shield vessels that had made the jump with us, forsaking their counterparts for the good of Kalkwa. At least, the friendly automatons couldn't be shaken by the transitioned effects of biologics. The rebels on my bridge got their tails back into motion and tended to the now-ready plasma railgun. We had to throw everything we had at the Shadow Fleet. I straightened with pride, despite how much the Segway had taken out of me. Oxor are the finest warriors in the galaxy. We stop them. We stop the Federation here. Confident growls echoed across the bridge as my followers tapped into their strength reserves. The dirty shield still looked a bit listless, so their fire might be a bit behind our initial volley. Kaisel zoomed in on the Colchian drones, and with startling efficiency, our plasma weapon fired. Two other rebel friendlies targeted the same vessel from this different angles, making invasion improbable. The automaton fired off a desperate stream of missiles before it was blasted into oblivion. Terran robots deployed a stream of interceptors to neutralize the parting gift. I didn't wait for the light and the reactor explosion to die down before ordering weapons to unleash the missiles that we'd been preserving to save our own hides. 
The meandering dirtune shield caught on enough to dump every missile they had at the oncoming missiles, since that was an easy task to complete. Terran drones forged ahead of us, cruising along vectors that put them on collision courses. Despite the continuous resistance, the Federation were getting close to orbital range of Kalkwa. The fractional contingent of craft that we warped here had to put a swift end to the few hundred Shadowfleet bogies. I never thought I'd be fighting side by side with leaf-licking apes and dirtying shield, I muttered to myself, before bellowing orders at a pitch where my crew could hear. However fast is the quickest you can get that plasma gun online, I want it done faster. Throw everything but the kitchen sink at them. If we have it in stock, use it. Zal will definitely have to afford us some maintenance and restocking after this escapade. Our resources are limited, and now depleted. Our interceptors were repurposed to be hurled at the drones, hoping that anything that landed would hinder their approach. The Durchin shield had finally brought their plasma guns alive and was spitting off beams in defense of Kalkwa. The Shadow Fleet dispensed shield-breaking missiles of their own across our joint line before returning another round of plasma, tailored towards the Durchin ships. I saw that, with a small number of ships that we had in our way, that our enemy intended to push through the weakest link. Three craft might fall, but one making it through would lend a consolation to them. There had been a negligible number of Terran drones to protect the Durgian from their folly, and the Arxel rebel fleet was otherwise occupied with targets of our own. After running the mental math in my head, it was clear to me that we couldn't stop every planet-bound vessel alone. We had to handle what was in front of us. Due to the efforts I'd led, my forces were cutting down 200-odd ships that would have ravaged the planet. It spared Kalkwa the majority of the damage. But despite our heroic victory approaching certainly, it wasn't possible here to save the homogeneity from a few final losses. The Dirtune Shield failed to hold their defensive line, and Colchian drones broke through the final stretch to orbital range above the inhabited world. The Dirtune pivoted in desperation, with a few desperate enough to save their loved ones that they mimicked the actions of the Terran drones, ramming into the bombers. Though most hostiles became easy pickings due to taking no action to protect themselves, about five dozen enemies made it through to their destination. Plasma beams and missiles struck true against the genocidal metal hunks. But it was too late. The shields tossed kinetics at the antimatter payloads, hoping against hope to strike the fast-moving warheads, yet knowing it wouldn't work. In rote silence, my claws switched onto his comms channel to hear the Yodel declaring that they were cleaning up the last remaining Kolshian hostiles back in the warp point. A dark part of my soul almost admired how the Shadow Fleet sacrificed thousands in a losing battle to increase their casualty count. Our intervention had saved the Dirtian from total extinction, and it was an effort that would garner respect from the United Nations. It remained to be seen how this would affect relations between the homogeneity and the sapient coalition, but it might even open the birds' minds to cordial relations. However, as 60-plus antimatter bombs delved into Kalkwa's atmosphere, I couldn't feel any sense of triumph. Today was another bleak mark on the Federation's blood-stained history in this galaxy. End of chapter Chapter 156 Memory Transcription Subject Governor Tava of the Vendor Republic Date Standardized Human Time March 16, 2137 
The election required a colossal effort across Venlo territory to ensure that each voter's voice was heard. The digitization of the election campaigns meant that votes could be cast electronically in the privacy of their homes and well in advance of the opening physical polls. Several identifiers, including biomarkers, were used to verify their identity. Early votes could be changed at any time up to the closing of the ballot collection. However, in the interests of not singling out anyone with connectivity problems who couldn't access the electronic device, in-person voting facilities were open on a big week. Many citizens preferred being part of the herd and exercising their civic rights amongst a crowd. The results from the large percentage of online voters would be accessible almost instantly, but physical votes from each city, outpost, or colony had to be forwarded by local governments. I hadn't felt this nervous during my first election, yet the uncertainty of who would emerge victorious today gnawed at me. Polls were indecisive, with turnout from certain demographics likely to play a major part in who was victorious. A major setback was that most human citizens had been barred from participating in the election, which could have pushed me over the edge. The soul of Skalga was at stake, in my opinion, and I wasn't sure how much of our progress Balm could reverse if he took office. His isolationism would bring us further away from humanity at the worst possible time. I've done everything I can with social media, outreach, and campaign ads. I visited every major city and run myself ragged going into rural areas and colonies where my popularity is uh, subpar. Any voters I could sway in Veln strongholds would have increased my chance. With the polls due to close in only a few minutes, I found myself watching a compilation of attack ads that Veln had spent significant money circulating on the airwaves and the internet. It wasn't as if I was innocuous on this front. I gone after his meteoric rise as the nominated challenger, claiming he gained most of the signatures by inflating his accomplishments within a small colony's government. Belne isn't ready to handle the responsibilities of Vendelkind, my tagline had proclaimed. I did see my opponent as clever, but someone who lacked a moral backbone or a good vision for our future. My rival was clever enough to claim his platform worked on any scale he'd tackled so far, and slammed my policies by crippling out-of-text quotes. Tala has proven that she cannot handle the responsibilities for Venlokind. Her unilateral decisions have given you no say in your future. The ad narrator declared as images of predator or disease patients being led out of facilities by humans played on the screen. She takes her ideas straight from the new predators. This was her claim about humans' knowledge of predator disease. A clip of me from the debate played on screen. They have a better idea than we do of what's actually predator behavior. Do you want the popular leader that trusts humanity's judgment over your own? Do you think predators have better ideas than us? The footage showed my rival touring an exterminator's guild on his colony and signing documents. Valn is not a follower. He's a leader who will listen to what the people want. You know who to vote for. I leaned away from Noah on the couch and held the remote out of his reach as he tried to cut the feed. Glim seemed apathetic from his position in the reclining chair. The rescue had been taken off my last campaign stops, despite how useful he would be to call the exterminator vote. In his current state, he would have done more harm than good to my message. It would look like the Terrans were coercing him into supporting me. The next ad in the compilation rolled, 
going after me under my ties to Earth again. Well, Tava is running around chasing the human ambassador. Val was working for his constituents. Listen to her own words about how much her policies and recent efforts have centered around Earth. A different narrator read. My eyes were narrowed with indignance on the screen. We've been through many stressful situations together, from nearly getting shut down en route to Alpha, to our efforts to stop the genocide of Earth, to working hand in paw with the cattle rescues that my government and his bargained for the release of, and now to our collaboration for the summit. Not only did Tavra admit to negotiating with the Axel, a true predator scourge that eats our children and ate her own, she also listed all of her accomplishments as things on humanity's agenda. There is no difference between our planets under her leadership. Behind the narrator's words, images played of me running with Maya and Noah as humans stampeded and smoke rose in the background. By her own admission on the debate stage, your goods will cost more because of higher value and attacks to fund <laughs> these adventures. And for all of that, the question remains, what has she done for you? Is your planet better now than it was six years ago? The clip ended with the words, Vote Vaughn, no more federations, flashing atop a picture of my rival holding a baby vendor. I couldn't deny that he was excellent at a political game and it made me seethe. Noah didn't want me to wind myself up, bouncing towards me to grab my wrist. He pried the remote from my grasp and switched it over to a live stream of the news channel. The human winked before pointing to a clock on the mantel. I flicked my ear in acknowledgement, hearing activity through the campaign headquarters. My diplomatic advisor Chum peeked his head. Right on time, the polls have closed. I prepared speeches for both outcomes, ma'am, and sent them to your holopad. Thank you. Whenever happens, it has been an honor working with you, I acknowledge. How are the exit polls looking? Depends on the jurisdiction. You're polling poorly in rural areas, colonies, all the places with the strongest exterminator guilds. Bayside City is leaning towards you, which is good. Noah bared his teeth. Thank goodness, Starver. You have a heart of gold. They'd be silly not to re-elect you. Maybe. We both know the amount of change I brought that has put me in a precarious situation. The polls seem to have slid towards him since the debate. I thought I did well, but those sound bites about humans are hurting me. I'm glad you stood up for us, even when it's not easy. What do you think, Lem? The rescue offered a blank stare. I think we're going to lose. Not because people all hate humans, but because people hate how Tarva is way too close to you. And they're right. You two literally bite each other's faces. Chalm pinned his ears back against his head. Wait, what? Glim is not well. You're dismissed, Chalm, I said hastily. The diplomatic advisor couldn't depart from the room soon enough, and he rejoined the larger crowd assembled around the massive screen in the lobby. I would be there when the results were expected to be known, but in this election, it could come down to the wire. Noah seemed aggravated at Glim, despite the fact that the sweet human rarely showed anger towards any vendor. Even his patience had limits, though he forgot about the rescue snide remarks as his eyes darted over to our television set. The Terran beamed and pecked me on the cheek, as the 64% who voted early had tilted 50.8% in my favor, compared to the Vaughn's 49.2%. However, I knew better than to celebrate this early, 
with it being this close and the rural villagers being the ones that skewed towards in-person ballot casting. It would have been preferable if my margin were as wider, rather than depending on the last third of the votes to be favorable. I cozied up to the astronaut with unspeakable weariness, shooting a warning look at Glim not to mouth off again. After the unfathomable stress of the past few months, I wasn't sure if I was ready for this claw-biting long night waiting for results to come in across our space. Dayside City, the capital of the home of the most humans in Skalgar, was amongst the first provinces to send results. 65% of the in-person voters called for my re-election, though I wasn't sure how much I should read into that. The ones who were Terran dissidents had long since moved out of the city, so, if anything, it was discouraging that nearly a third of decided with Valm. Other major cities turned out even less promising results, with me narrowly holding the physical votes in almost all except of Tanalu City, skewing 53.4 towards my opponent. That still padded my lead, and Noah seemed ready to take a victory lap. I respected his optimism. I don't know why, but I have a bad feeling about this election since the day began. Maybe if it's just my nerves. Uh, internally, I am confident that I have support of my people. Even if I do win, it's clear from these margins that the planet is divided. That was the last good news that we had in the evening. Rural villages like Calgal Falls, home to Glim's aunt, poured in through tepid amounts of votes, but several skewed around 75% mark in Valm's favor. While one small settlement wouldn't have been enough to make an indent in my lead of millions, together they were eating into the metropolitan vote. These people had always been traditionalists and were known to be less than cordial with human refugees. Lack of interaction with Terrans meant that they never had the opportunity to change their minds. You can't win them all, Noah had said, trying to massage the tension from my shoulders. The issue was that I wasn't winning any, and that my campaign efforts in those areas didn't seem to have stopped the bleeding. It was a blowout in every single village, which I could imagine Val feeling the swing of momentum. The colonies only lowered the gap further, and the numbers made my heart plummet. My opponent had been actively ferrying voters on his home colony, Milner, to the Poles, and even been on one of those transports himself to plead his case in the already strongest territory. I thought that it had been foolish play, since they already had their votes as a popular governor, but rehashing his beloved tenure paid dividends. Milner was one of the last colonies to report their total votes, because they nearly doubled the record of in-person turnout. Valm was seen as their candidate. Valm is a hometown hero who hasn't forgotten his roots, yet few ask the voters of Melna. Jonak had announced from the election coverage broadcast. Off of Vendel Prime soil, she's seen as a governor of humans. Perhaps it would have been wise to distance herself more from the UN. Not good. Colonies never feel attached to the affairs of the homeworld, but even ones without Valm the visitor are bringing turnout. They've had a stake in the humans' arrival, and the ones who don't are more inclined to vote in the past elections. My numerical advantage had been millions away from my opponents and seemed insurmountable to Noah. had shrunk to a sliver as the night progressed. The rural villages whittled down my advantage to half of its original count. The unexpected turnout of Milner was the start of a continuing skid. By the time all colonies had reported, my lead was a mere 493 votes. I fielded calls from the UN Secretary General wishing me luck and thanking me for everything that I'd done for humanity which I think was Zal's way of saying they thought there was a good chance that I might lose. The Earthlings must be scrambling to figure out how to deal with a possible Governor Val, 
and they didn't want to spring goodbyes on me if I was unseated. Jonik poked his ears in camera as the new broadcast returned from a break. Hello! If you are turning in expecting us to hear who the new governor of Skalva is, we have one province outstanding, the science settlement of Elega, which has been under sandstorm conditions and is just making contact now. I'm told we can expect results from them in a few minutes. What an election it's been! Polling in Algia has been toss-up and it wasn't visited by Tava or Valm. This could go either way. We should go outside with the others, Noah whispered. Governor or not, I always love you. I wrapped my prosthetic tail around his wrist. I love you too. If I had to do everything over again, the only thing I'd change is sending that distress signal in the first place. We'll get through this. Of course we will. Worst that happens is you retire from public service and we get to run off together like I've imagined for months. That's not so terrible, right? It is what I want, but humanity needs me in charge of Skalga to preserve our close alliance. The Vendel can't go back completely, love. You gave us a chance. You made sure millions of people who never would have thought about dealing with predators did the same. And you saved our species to boot. You've done so much. We couldn't ask any more. Don't worry about humans, because you've done more than your part on our behalf. Emotion swelled in my throat as I marched towards the doorway to enter the lobby with the rest of the staff. These could be my last moments as a leader of Skalga. Regardless of what Noah said, I felt responsible for the efficacy of my campaign strategies. How could I justify keeping our relationship quiet to maintain my office if I lost my position to a populist charmer like Valm? How could I have any say in the decisions affecting millions of Terran refugees on this planet? I cared about what happened to the Earthlings. That was the sole reason I sought to re-election after all. For their sake. Noah glanced over his shoulder towards Glim. Do you want to come with us and watch the results with the group? We'd love for you to join us. No, he murmured. Why not? You were a part of this team as much as anyone else. I helped Tava because I owed her my life. Not because I think she's a fitting governor. A real Vendal wouldn't have argued for, for, for an Arxor to speak at the summit. I hope Valm wins. I flinched at the sudden admission from the cattle rescue. How could he oppose my candidacy after my policies freed millions like him from abhorrent conditions? I'd volunteered to help with the reintroduction program because I cared about these mistreated Vendel. A skull took over my astronaut's features and his fist clenched beneath my coiled tail. Noah didn't speak another word to Glim, instead hurrying out with me to the lobby. I tried to clear that exchange from my mind, but sinking feeling that plagued me all day had reached its crescendo. I didn't have the good feeling about how the votes from Elligar would shake out my gut. Ma'am, Cam flicked his ears in acknowledgement as we fell in beside him and Charles. The moment of truth, I've argued on behalf of your policies, even when I didn't agree with them. You couldn't have been more right about the humans. I'm proud to have served your administration. Thank you, General, I whispered. Thank you for your service to our planet. Let's save our goodbyes or congratulations for after we hear the results, though. Copy that. An eerie silence overtook the lobby as dozens of staffers saw Jonix scan the new information off-screen. The venal journalist took a moment to prepare himself, savoring the suspense of the ultimate verdict. The knowing glint in his eyes confirmed that the results of the election were known. Before he ever said a word, Eliga flashed orange to signify that it had been tallied on the visual aid map. 
All we needed was to hear the counts that would usher me into a second term or elect a new governor in my stead. It was all I could do not to bury my eyes in Noah's chest and press my paws over my ears to avoid hearing. The impending news was almost too much to bear. Jonak cleared his throat. Meliga has submitted its votes, and with the last outstanding province in, Daysight Newsfeed can now declare the new governor-elect. After winning the city's votes by a percentage of 54%, the 103rd governor of Vendel Homeworld will be... The journalist paused for dramatic effect, and my breath hitched to my throat. The election would be delivered with his next words, signaling what the voters had chosen for the future of Skalgar. I hoped that, whatever decision they had reached, it would turn out well for both the Vendel people and our sincerest allies. End of chapter. Chapter 157. Memory transcription subject Tava, exiting governor of Vendel Republic. Date standardized human time, March 17th, 2137. Jonik straightened his ears and pronounced the name of the next governor, Veln. My campaign had ended with a dramatic loss of my title. I'd given my concession speech in a daze and issued thanks to the United Nations people for all the work that we'd done together. With nothing left to lose over our secret, Ambassador Noah and I stood hand in paw at my desk as I prepared to hand over the governor's duties to Valn. My most trusted advisors were also present, though Glum was a no-show after his barbed words yesterday. When I tried to broach the subject with my human astronaut, he deflected, saying that he was concerned about how I was handling the loss. I believed that was a true statement, but Noah clearly was furious at Glim's opinionated outburst towards me. It was customary for some staff of the previous administration to be kept on if they were viewed as competent in their duties. Chell had been a holdover from a previous organization to me. Military advisors like Cam would have had better shot at sticking around, had Venel General not been a strong proponent of human alliance. It remained to be seen how Firebrand Vaughn would be as the man in charge and how thoroughly he would cash in his campaign promises. The governor-elect strolled into his office, having given an acceptance speech I didn't bother to watch in the reception lawn. I can be gracious in defeat, even if I'm worried about what will happen to our alliance with the humans. Vaughn can't undo all the progress we've made. After we're in this deep, the people spoke, and they didn't have faith in my agenda. So... I didn't deserve to win. Vaughn wrapped up his speech to arrive in my office with the exact promptness, and on the dot wall when the highest seat of Skalga was officially his. Away from where the cameras were rolling, he was all business. There was a shrewdness in his eyes, though he made a point not to acknowledge Noah and I's intertwined grips. The new governor took a long way around the desk to avoid passing us as a couple, and leaned back in his chair. He flicked his ears in satisfaction and gestured to the recently cleared-off desk as though imagining where his personal possessions would go. He then took inventory of the advisors and showed their faces before finally speaking. You! You should consider yourselves relieved of your position, the former colony governor spoke, indicating to Noah with his tail, I want a real diplomat from the United Nations here, someone who can talk policies, negotiate our disagreements, and represent our, your government on a technical level. I know humans have people like that. Ambassador Williams offered a tight smile. I'll reach out to them. Someone from the embassy staff will be in contact within the day. Good, but don't go yet, because there are more to the message. Some of what I'll tell Chalm may apply to you. My diplomatic advisor will do much more legwork than under the previous administration, 
Are you up for that, Chong? Do you want to stay on? Chong gave me an apologetic earflick. Sir, I'd be happy to continue to serve the governor's office. Very good. And then I want several orders on my desk today to start taking notes and preparing papers for my signature. Press releases and social media posts. Yes, I do understand the last one isn't your job, but I want a cohesive communication strategy. You're going to work with my online presence manager, so we're on the same page. Understood, Governor Val. Okay, my first order. Businesses and municipalities have the right to require visors for binocular-eyed individuals. I couldn't hold in my gasp of outrage at the thought of humans being forced to conceal their eyes on our streets. It was better than Valm attempting to throw the Terran refugees off our worlds and revoke their citizenship. But this insulted a piece of their very existence, implying that they were offensive to look at. Such an infringement on the rights of human residents, who were equal under the law, signaled them out for eye placement, made my prosthetic tail stiffen with fury. How much damage could this do to our alliance with Earth? How would I feel out on a date with Noah if he was forced to wear a visor? I remember how the external pressure to hide the predatory aspects of his appearance caused him to devalue his own worth on Uffa. I won't let anyone hurt Noah, not even the radful governor of Skaga. How dare you! I hissed, blading my tail with outrage. Noah squeezed my wrist. It's all right, Tava. Calm down. You don't have to stick up for us anymore. I want to. You're people, just as much as anyone else, and I won't stand for anyone treating you like monsters. Bone swished his tail in a patient gesture. I admire what you tried to do, Tava. A member of your campaign staff told me about you and your human lover. I could have gone a lot further on that vague insinuation on our debate stage, but I didn't. I don't hate humans, but I find that highly inappropriate. Tell me. Do you think that's the sort of thing that should have been disclosed to the public? Feckinglum. The rescue said he wanted Val to win. He must have been upset when my rival didn't use the information to ruin me. No good deed goes unpunished. I don't see what my personal life has to do with denying millions of people the right to show their face, I spat, fury causing the pitch to climb. I'll explain for Noah to pass along to the United Nations in a moment. But what I'm saying, Tava, is that the people don't want change. Not all at once. They want stability, and to feel in control of their destiny, Valn announced, as if it were self-evident. Shit, if I went on as all out as my campaign promises, they'd rescind me too by my next election. What are you saying? I'm saying I won't uproot any lives, but I read the planet's temperature and I plan to take it down a notch. I'll give them enough of what they want to avoid civic unrest, and enough of what the humans want so that they can live with me. Public perception is what's important, and I plan to be a very popular governor, like I was in Milner. You think humans can live with the regression of their civic rights? You still haven't addressed what this order means for them. I have plenty of time. I was getting there. Rural villages were asking to have humans banned from setting foot in their towns. Frankly, I'm not sure why they'd be suicidal enough to go there, but I digress. Businesses want to be allowed not to serve humans without fear of reprisal. So all in all, this is a lukewarm policy, and I have valid reasons. Noah Williams, do you know how many Vendel have been hospitalized on this planet due to binocular eye-induced fainting since the Battle of Earth? The astronaut shifted with discomfort. No. 12,931. Though those could be outdated statistics since it's from this morning, I won't tell you how many died from their fright because it's not fair. But I will tell you that it's not zero. Yes. 
I think that if an elderly business owner feels they can't look at your eyes without fainting, they should have the right to require advisors. Or maybe they don't want the liability if someone passes out on their premises. It doesn't hurt you, and when you send me an actual diplomat, I'll be happy to pencil in exceptions should you need to remove them for safety or to engage in an activity. As much as I wanted to argue against the proposition, Valm had a valid point over the public health concern. It lingered in the back of my mind that Noah felt responsible for a stampede deaths from his arrival, so I knew he'd personally sacrifice his comfort to ensure the safety of Vendel's citizens. When framed in that light, the astronaut likely was nodding along with the new governor's logic internally. Most businesses, at least in Dayside City, would be unlikely to employ such a policy, since it would cost them millions of potential customers. It also might help to lessen potential hostility towards Terrans in backwaters like Cadrill Falls, where Glim's aunt was housed. Despite prohibition of travel technically being illegal, several businesses and villages already tried to ban humans from their territory. Valn's intention seems to be to score points with his core constituents, but at least he's thinking of humans and doesn't seem to be hostile towards them. Then they'll don't make decisions for humans and vice versa. I suspect Terran refugees would be happy with that bargain, not having our values imposed on them. The new governor signaled, free planet in a tail language, before launching into his next policy. Alright, Chown, I want some funds allocated towards exterminator upgrades, conveniently to upgrade equipment and add new departments to spread the workload. See what I did? I twisted my ears in confusion. You want them to separate their duties? Totally. They worked too hard, and that's all I'm going to give you on my motives. Right, next item. Predator disease facilities. We're launching a violent crime prevention program pronto. I'm targeting violent strains of the disease with the majority of our resources, which conveniently should give you the majority of what you wanted. Human experts are welcome to draft some guidelines for warning signs. Because they know all the, the violence? Is that the implication? Yeah. It's not my fault what people assume, I have no control over that, and I'm sure Vendel, who jumped to that conclusion, would believe that they're about humans regardless. Right, just a few more things, gotta have the productive day one. Next up, immigrants to Vendel Prime from other worlds will not be allowed to vote until six years have passed from their acceptance of their citizenship. To prevent foreign nationals from influencing our policies, Mostly to keep Terran refugees from voting in the next provincial governor elections. Humans shouldn't be able to move to our planet and tell us what to do. Remember what I said about imposing values. I want people who vote to have stayed here and showed their commitment to us. If I didn't want any Earthlings voting, I wouldn't have let those who've already gotten citizenship cast ballots in the next governor election. The humans will know who gave them that path of voting rights, and the Vendel people will know who stopped a sudden influx of predators from swaying our elections. Win, win. The more I listened to Vaughn detail his policies, it seemed that he was attempting to play both sides with compromise items. The governor seemed to agree with various revelations that humans gave us. If I could read between the lines, but he wanted to appease the constituents who weren't thrilled about our entire foundation of knowledge being ripped apart. By my own grudging admission, it was a clever strategy. For the sake of political gain, he was more worried about appearances than reality. I could understand I gave the perception that I went along with anything suggested by humanity. But I couldn't understand why he insisted on spelling out his plan changes with me, a disposed rival in the room. 
Perhaps this is it. As humans say, a wink and a nod to show is on my side for some high issues, and Daddy's rhetoric is aimed at winning over the masses. Or is this about gloating that he's better governor? I heaved a flustered sigh. Congratulations on your victory, Valn. But as to the unseated governor, now an ordinary citizen, I'm not sure why my presence is needed here. What I think of your policies doesn't matter. Oh, but it does, because I have something in mind for you, the Vendel replied with a casual tail swish. It's about the sapient coalition. Now that we've made our planet's affairs independent from human influence, I've decided the best to remain in the organization to keep an eye on them. Write this down, John. As I was saying, to keep an eye on them so that we know what they're planning and can enjoy the pure military benefits of the Alliance. I'm glad to hear that you won't try to withdraw from the Sapien Coalition. But as that's all you wanted me to hear, get led with that. Tava, that's your project. Before you were governor, you were our ambassador to the Federation. I want you to resume a role you were actually well suited for, to be our ambassador to the Sapient Coalition. It'll keep you in a diplomatic contact with humanity. And honestly, I doubt there's anyone more comfortable or connected in the Earth Department. Thus, I'll be too busy with the affairs here to handle that myself. I was silent for several seconds, shocked by the request. Ah, uh, with respect, you just said that you didn't want us entangled with humanity. In that role, I imagine, I'll be expected to follow your orders and wishes. You'll want me to sell them on policies that I don't agree with. Your policies. I know you know how to do that, Tava. I'm sure it'll be difficult, after being governor, to take a step down and to answer to the same person you lost to, no less. But I want to show that we're not enemies, like I said earlier, to lower the political temperature, and if we show how magnanimous I am along the way, wonderful. I thought you'd have some reservations, so I did think of a small incentive as a, uh, signing bonus. What's that? Don't you dare lord something involving the human's welfare over my head. Nonsense. My offer was a benign topic. I wouldn't play with lives. I'm not the Federation. My incentive was about the referendum for the planet's name. In the interest of self-determination, it should be up to the people. Though I do intend to speak my piece on why I'm not a fan of Skalka. You agree to be my ambassador, and I'll get the process in motion. I turned an inquisitive gaze on Noah, who'd been silent throughout the process. The human was attempting to not interfere with a newly elected governor, and he wasn't more vocal about what decision I should make. Without saying a word, the sideways glance of his binocular eyes told me that he thought I should follow what I wanted to do. I could rely on his affection and support as long as I was happy. Beneath that, I could sense that the former ambassador wasn't fond of people like Valn. On a personal level, it was difficult for me to trust anyone who was so calculating with their appearances. But having a chance to ensure our continued friendship with Earth and its allies trumped that. Securing positive relations with the Predators had been my life's most meaningful work. My ears flattened with reluctance. Fine, I'll do it. Glad to hear it. Oh, and before you and Noah run along, if humankind has a particular objection to anything I proposed, I am willing to negotiate. However, I would need a concession in return that can score me equal political points, Bond said. Will that be suitable arrangement, Mr. Williams? Noah dipped his head. We're accustomed to people like you. I'm sure that we can work with that. Delightful. I look forward to more productive conversations with your replacement. You both may leave. Cam classified briefings for the governor's ears only, I'm sure. 
I forced a polite farewell in tail language, not appreciating that parting shot. Val couldn't resist sneaking in a reminder of his victory, perhaps in response to Noah's thinly veiled distaste towards him. As we departed the governor's office for the final time, I reminded myself that protecting humanity from persecution was more important than pride. The governor could have been more radical with his newfound power, and it was a small victory that I wouldn't be iced out of the galactic politics. I couldn't say that the responsibility of an entire planet would be one that I missed. If anything, my narrow defeat allowed Noah and I to spend our future together unrestricted. What came next for humanity and Vendelkind was out of my paws now, but I'd hoped that I'd done enough to lay the groundwork for a peaceful future between our two species. End of chapter. Chapter 158. Memory Transcription Subject, Chief Hunter Isif, Arxal Rebellion Command. Date, Standardized Human Time, March 17, 2137. Knowing how unbeloved my species was on Kalkwa, there was no offer extended to the dirty and homogeneity to help with rebuilding and search and rescue. That had been the courtesy to humanity that I couldn't imagine my kind going along with for prey. The avians didn't attempt to drive us and the humans from the system, but the only sent a formal thank you to the Yotl. I wasn't sure whether the Terrans felt slighted, though I sure did. The Dirtian were fortunate that my request for temporary aid in restocking munitions to tide us over until we could contact the United Nations wasn't phrased as a demand. My lack of diplomatic aplomb meant it was best that I left the leaf-licking primates to deal with the fallout, especially after how the shield allied races behaved seeing me at the summit. A cryptic communication from Jones pointed us to a repair outpost within a day's travel, repaying our expenditures without me asking. It was strange to have our fleet congregated so far away from the central sector, since the rebellion's early focus had been pestering agents within Briss's territory. I was aware of the fact that we devoted an inordinate amount of attention to the Federation after the surprising partnership between Giznil and Iconis was revealed. Protecting Kalkwa thwarted the Colchian's primary target, and now the crux of the war hinged upon whether the Terran's single-minded push towards Alpha could succeed. That was Zhao's third phase of the war, and rumor had it that Stage 2, cutting the conspiracy off from hundreds of allies, had been achieved through the Federation's staggering lack of cybersecurity. If humanity can get the Colchian dynasty to surrender, then they'll be able to fight against the Dominion. Giznal knows that he is weaker than the Federation, by his own admission, which is why Betterman avoided their ire. I narrowed my eyes in the briefing room. The Dominion has not been trying to win war, yes. I think they do not know how. They have not been active since Shazar's failure at Sevis, which brought shame upon Chief Hunter's repute. It may be possible to dismantle their operations enough that it is decided not to fight humanity at all. Yeah, do you really believe that Gizno would just surrender? I'm pretty sure that he wishes to keep power at all costs, Lisa responded. I think he believes there is no choice and sees the way to bargain some control. It may be possible. I am committed to a peaceful future for our people. And in this instance, I imagine your little SC buddies will not stand for betterment survival. With our rebellion left outside the organization, I am concerned with ensuring our continued existence as an independent entity. So the more that we can reduce Dominion control, the more bargaining power we have over the Prophet Descendant if Alpha falls. 
Keisel heaved a weary sigh. <sighs> Survival. I see why you have been focused on coexisting with prey. What we have done, returning cattle, trying to communicate, and saving the dirtium, might temper the calls for our race's genocide. Indeed. I do not think humanity would allow us to be attacked, given how they seek to end this forever war. However, I am concerned over how much free reign we will have and how we should move forward towards a better future through the galaxy's mistrust. I and I want Riss under our control, not some other world with no history. Gizno might not take our home with him. Olenk adjusted his glasses. So you are looking for ways to reduce Battleman's authority. What could leave Giznola more paranoid than stripping him of yet another chief hunter who's seen as loyal to his cause? We're in the neighborhood, anyways. Leothus? All of our intelligence suggests that he will stop at nothing to prove himself to Betterment. Young, hot-blooded, a true believer. What on earth would convince him to jump a ship? Lisa countered. Well, we did hand him a multi and dredged in homeworlds on a silver platter. If he accepted a tip he knew came from us, then it can't be any more treasonous for him to accept a parlay. I lashed my tail. That was a different circumstances. A raiding opportunity proves his fierceness to Gisno. Ilthus will not respond to talking. He responds to open strength and personal rewards. And the idea of a world without violence would disgust him. Then show him that the Dominion is weak, Chief Hunter. Kaiser's eyes glowed with a new confidence, and he's more parted with eagerness. Show Ilthus the footage of the Dominion and how they negotiate with the Kulshians because they cannot best them. How they do not wish to win the war or hunt well. That is not a bad idea. Perhaps we can show humanity strength to Ilthus. If humans have the power going forward, rewards from Giznil are empty. He's proving himself to be the wrong team. True strength isn't staying within your role to avoid being crushed by a calamari, yes? Oleg chuckled. <laughs> I'm surprised you learned that word. I listen to the babbling of you humans when it serves me. If the Yodel are calling the Colchians a human food delicacy, I'd be remiss not to adopt this term. The calamari are responsible for the starvation of my people with a cure, regardless of where the betterment released the cattle virus. So I have few moral quandaries about anything done to offer. I hate the leaf lickers. I hope the Colchians are burned alive in their homes. For now, miserable they've made my life. Geisel growled. Convince Ilthus that true strength is joining the fight at offer for his personal glory across and beyond the Dominion. Well, the humans are en route to offer as we speak. All they must do is get past the border stations and system in between. So while I can support bringing Ilthus into the fold, we should craft a plan for how to establish contact with him at once, if you want him to arrive in time. I drummed my claws on the table in deep thought. Ilthus's location was a given, with him likely trying to bloody the Dresden and Maltese nose. Unlike Kalsum's fleet, the Dewar had retreated some of its ships even without the stark Morning, the Grocottle captain had given. It was my sincere hope that, amongst the young chief hunter's attempts to grab easy cattle, especially with the egg-laying multi offering scrumptious delicacies in the form of their unhatched young, I hoped that he had the foresight to take out their shipyards and bases, coupled with the human cyber-attack, 
that should ensure that those loyalists didn't ever come kicking around again. Even if Arthur was defeated, the true cultists of the Federation, like the Dresden and the Predators sacrificing Yelper, would be unlikely to drop out of the fight. All right, Kaisel, I imagine your plan is for us to head to Dresden and Multispace and offer assistance. I do not particularly wish to preside over raids myself, especially with the harm that would do to our image. This rebellion is about proving that our arcs are capable of being more than brutal, senseless beasts, I growled. The runt flared his nostrils. I merely wish for you to travel close enough to pinpoint Ulthus's command ship. It won't be engaged at the center of the battle, though someone as cruelty proficient as Chief Hunter will be trying to get some kills himself. You can extend the hail from there. If I may, why don't we contact you in intelligence and see if they've tapped at the Ox or comms enough to connect us via FTL channels? There's no need to put ourselves in the line of fire, Visa offered. Very well, I acknowledged. Zhao is an ideal figure to bargain with, though. Jones is your go-to contact for intelligence. With respect, sir, I'll attempt to go through her. As long as I have your blessing, I can keep her from pushing anything. Fine. But if that plotting human tries to pull some shenanigans, I want us darling Zhao and only Zhao. Of course. Don't worry. I'll make sure this is quick and to the point. I watched in silence, along with the rest of my advisors, as the primate dialed General Jones. The American intelligence guru had a knowing gleam in her eyes, something which never sat right with me. It was as if she knew what we wanted to ask before any words were said. Terrans could certainly have prying ears and eyes in unexpected places, using technological infrastructure as weapons. I didn't quite believe her claim that her agencies weren't spying on my people. My guess was that humans listening in, even on Tava's governorship activities, despite the close alliance. It was fortunate for Earth that they had such a devoted friend in Skulga's highest office. Let's see if Jones gets any ideas about how to use me to her advantage. If Lisa can't get the spymaster to help the rebellion out of decency, then I'll never work with her again. I'm not being pushed into doing things outside of my agenda by manipulative means. General Jones raised her hands placatingly. Yes, if no need to look so skeptical, all we wanted was to split the Dominion and tilt the scales of war. It was in my national and planetary interest to spur you into action at a few key places. But now, there is no need for subterfuge. I can see you doubt my intentions, but know I'm happy to advance your rebellion's aims. Risa, I believe you said that you would handle the chatter. I do not feel like chatting. You know how Arcs are tired of socializing. Lisa snorted. Yes, I've heard most Arcs all do. Uh, ma'am, we were hoping that you could patch us through to Chief Hunter Ilthus. Speaking to him could provide a key opportunity to siphon away Gizna's allies. Or oh, that's the plan. Yes, definitely. Support attempts to weaken them without direct engagements. Let me consult my database. Ah, what a coincidence, the general exclaimed, wagging a finger. I happened to be looking at Ilthus's file when you called. I'll transmit his coordinates, and with his access code, he should be able to communicate with his ship. I stifled a sigh as Jones made a few swipes with her fingers. Olek gave me a nod to signify that he received the data, and Lisa disconnected the call after a formal thanks. I was pleased that we'd been able to attain the information with minimal back and forth, and that it wasn't a conditional offering. My eyes narrowed before I gestured for the two humans and scrawny Kaisel to exit the picture. 
We couldn't afford to have any sapiens nearby that Elthus would see as a sign of weakness. The mask of cruelty that I perfected in my facade around Betterment returned, an unwelcome reminder of my own bloody past. I bared my teeth to signify ferocity and signal for Oleg to initiate the call to a fiery chief hunter. Ilthus responded, after a long stretch of our entreaty going unanswered. As a proper holographic avatar, the chief hunter had taken the time to send the full image of his toned form onto my projector, rather than the basic 2D visual. I suppressed a huff, realizing that I should have done the same. That was how the highest-ranking Dominion officers communicated. So out of the gate, my status seemed inferior to him. The hot-headed Arxol had scars sliced across his muzzle that seemed artificially inflicted, perhaps to signify his toughness. His grey skin had a bit of a green pallor to it, and his features were locked in a permanent scowl. This commander had the swagger of someone who'd fought a thousand battles. It is apparent he's trying to compensate for his lack of experience through intimidation. Does Ilthus know what it is to command enough to hold up to the Colchians? Well, if it is not the traitor to our dominance of our people, the filth that bargains with prey, consorting with our enemies, Ilthus sneered, what is it that you want? I raised my maw in defiance. Poor starters, I would like some gratitude for the easy hunt I gave you. I know many things about the state of the galaxy. I also know how to position Arxor for survival and strength. You forget the first item. Is that not so? I would not pass a prey and a chance to showcase my hunting ability. My raids are much crueler than yours. The best that you could do was glassing Venlo schools and a few movie reels. Your raid, I am sure, is quite impressive. That is why I wish to speak with you about more opportunities to sad demonstrate your talent. And make a name for yourself as you seize power with the utmost prowess. Once you hear my reasons for joining our hunt, and what I can offer you, you'll have no doubts about which side is weak and which side is beneficial to your agenda. I have no reason to listen to your prattling, and I tire of this conversation. Words mean very little, when I do not have any reason to believe you are anything but past your prime and defectively weak. This groveling to the feats of my raid acknowledges my superior cruelty with no resistance. You must prove that you are better, Chief Hunter, than me, if I am to listen to all of this. The softened-up words you placed in my jaws are the sole reason I took your call. In the interest of more feasts that you may know about. The contest of strength is what I can handle. I've seen many battles, and I'm certain that I can outmaneuver the likes of you. One thousand of your ships versus one thousand of mine. No tricks or subterfuge, no reinforcements for a coward's win, just a direct confrontation in space. If you passed my people, Gizno will be delighted that you defeated the pesky rebels and lured us into the open. Ulthus snorted with a dismissive tone. Yeah. I'll gain no satisfaction by crushing your ragtag force. It is you, the very head of power, that I doubt. I have a separate proposal, an honorable one. You come to my base without any army or backup, and we engage in a ritual sword fighting, Pliskis, unless you've forsaken your weapon ornaments. 
Why would I be foolish enough to come alone to your territory for the Tliskus duel? I want to show my worth by defeating the supposedly great Isif, sending your memory to the prey pastures where it belongs. I'm no coward that would back down from a fight, especially an easy one against a, a weak defective. Fine! I trust that you are not so petrified of your batters that you would seek a cheap victory. I noticed that the humans looked horrified at my swift agreement, as if they believed it was folly. Whenever the leaflickers thought, I had pride left over, and I could tell Ilthus had too much arrogant confidence to backtrack on his challenge. I will see you humiliated by my blade, and we'll speak about why you should join me afterward. Empty words, like all of this talking you adore. When I win, I will execute you. Gizna will know who has slain the traitor from our ranks, and that it was through my superiority, Elthus hissed. The chief hunter pounded away at his console, forwarding the coordinates to his base. Given that I wished to recruit him to our side, I was not going to take the opportunity to strike the clandestine facility. There were more important enemies than one overly proud Arxor. The less dominion ships I needed to slaughter to complete my rebellion's aims, the better. Elthus disconnected from the call after a threatening roar. As the stain swirled in his eyeslits, I surveyed my advisor's expressions and noticed that Kaisel seemed a bit jealous. The Arxel runt must envy how respectable and powerful a soldier slightly older than him had become through the merits of his strength. If Elthus thinks I've lost a step, he'll be in for a rude awakening. I can be calculating and patient. Too much eagerness to prove himself will mean his judgment is clouded by his anger. That doesn't mean I can't physically prepare myself. Without any discussion with my advisors, as the matter was settled, I stood from the table. This was not up for debate, since we needed to strike at the Dominion's very foundation. It was time for me to prepare for a confrontation with Ulthus. I intended to sharpen my sword and retrain myself at the art of Tliscus. Achieving maximum readiness for our duel would ensure that our probability of victory was turned in my favor as much as possible. End of chapter There is a new legend on the horizon. Blueberry Cat has taken the T6 Patreon spot. Thank you very much, and I am sure that I speak for everyone when I say that. I would just like to thank our T5 members, Lord Azrakal, Ambrose Cattell, Quantum Wednesday, Dregzoon WRE, Blueberry Cat, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Bushmaster 177, and Leslie 517. Thank you very much.